Thank you, choir. And uh, it's appropriate that we, uh, I guess you already have recognized uh, our 40-year-old is stepping, you need me to help you down the steps? Or you're, no, you're, you're yeah, it. Our 40-year-old is coming down the steps, and of course, Woody will be 40 on Friday, which is really good because of uh, your pastor, who is 33. Now, you think about it. He's been here seven years, right? So how long have you been here, Matt? July will be seven years, he and uh, Whitney have been here seven years, so reflect back with me on how old he was when he came to you. <laughs> now, you, you as a church, this is a happy church, uh, which is a rare thing. I go to a lot, honestly, I go to a lot of churches, and uh, it's refreshing to come into a, a congregation that actually likes one another uh, and likes to preach pretty good. That is a gift from the Lord. It is an absolute gift from the Lord if things are going well in any measure in a church because uh, so few churches are things actually going well. In fact, you could uh, take your, your town in this county, you could ride around if you'd like, and you would find churches that would uh, give anything to have this kind of fellowship. And so I'm there just very thankful to just to get to be with you a little bit. Uh, several days just to be with the family at First Baptist Gadsden, and I hope that in the, I mean, it took six years to, for Matt to have me back, so maybe by the time I'm 60, you can have me back uh, again. A couple of things you should be aware of. Because it's so rare uh, for a church to, to, for it to go well, and because it's so rare to actually have a preacher that's worth anything, there are a lot of sorry preachers in the world. I mean, we're friends now, right? I can just talk straight, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. I can just say whatever. Right, right, yeah. Right. I'm not going to offend any denominations tonight, by the way. <laughs> but because it is so uh, rare to find a church that's happy, that enjoys church life, and a pastor that enjoys being with the church, and the church enjoys a pastor, uh, because it's so rare, churches, are, they're like hyenas. Church committees, pastor church committees are going to come around here. Now look, they're like hyenas, they'll stalk in here, you got to watch for them, and they try to steal your preacher. You got to do all you can do to make sure, uh, I mean just think about it now, all that you've invested into this young man, you don't want somebody benefiting after all these years, <laughs> that you finally got him where you need him to be, right? So you need to do all you can uh, to keep... He and Whitney and their family. Very thankful for uh, Matt and Whitney and what the Lord's doing. Now, let's get to the Bible. We like the Bible. That's what we came here to do. Let's get to the Bible. I, I told you I was going back and forth. I had you even vote on what I was supposed to preach on, which I told my wife that I did that. She was like, what is wrong with you? Why did you do that? I said, I don't know, Connie. Uh, so what I've decided to do is uh, call your attention. If you want to hear the sermon on God's wrath, that is in Romans 1, 18. I preached it last Sunday. You can get that on our podcast. What I'd like to do is call your attention to the other side of the book in Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. If you have a Bible, why don't you open it up to Genesis chapter 32. Uh, those of you that have been praying for Miss Nana Rose, uh, Connie said that she's doing better. Uh, I talked to my wife this morning. And um, yeah, they've been trying to watch some online which I wish I had known that. I wouldn't have said, y'all pray for Nina Rose, don't worry about my father-in-law, anyway. <laughs> I wish I had known. I didn't know that they were going to be watching, so I got a little earful on that deal. 
Uh, but anyway, I asked Connie how, how our mama was doing, and she said she woke up feeling a lot better. So thank you for praying for her. I'll leave tomorrow morning, go back to Charlotte. Connie is going to be in Brookhaven. And I'm going back to Charlotte. So I, I don't like the sound of that. Uh, because what am I going to do? Uh, there's, I don't know if there's any food in the house. I don't know. So y'all should be praying for me. I'll be by myself in Charlotte. But my mom and dad are in town, so maybe I'll go over there. My mom's always got some good food. All right, enough talk about that. Let's go to Genesis chapter 32. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Genesis chapter 32. We'll start in verse 22 and read just 10 verses to verse 32. But while you're standing there, let me give you a little background, just so you have it. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Abraham, the patriarch, Isaac, we don't have much about him except that he's the father of Jacob and Esau, twin boys, although they look nothing alike. Always struggling, Esau is the hairy one. Jacob is the trickster, that's indeed what his name means. He and his brother have a fallen out twice. He tricks his brother one time. The last trick, he uh, is manipulated by his mother, who's involved, tricks his brother. His brother loses his temper once he gets the blessing. His brother consoles himself by saying, one day I'm going to kill that boy, Jacob. Well, mom realizes she's made a mistake and tells Jacob, you need to leave. His father gives him a blessing. He goes off to find a wife. Just so happened, it was his first cousin, but found a wife. Uh, goes there, and things go really well for Jacob. He, of course, is, it leads us, points us to Christ. But things go well for Jacob. And what we're going to read here in verse 22 to verse, I don't know, about 32 or so, this is probably the, the strangest moment in his life. It's the point in his life that things turn. If you were a Christian, you might call this the point of conversion. This is where God at last gets a hold of his life. So as you read it, Think through, what does that look like for your own life? Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin in verse 22. The same night he arose and he took his two wives, his two female servants and his eleven children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched, do you see it? He touched his hip socket. Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, for I have, seen the fa I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, 
limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. Join me as we pray. Father, we do thank you for the chance to gather together as redeemed people. Your grace is beyond our minds to imagine. So in that grace, I pray that you would awaken hearts tonight to love you more. In that grace, I pray that you would heal broken hearts. Father, I pray that you would untie frustration, that you would bring patience, that you would renew faith. I pray, Lord, for the men here at this church, that your grace would give them a new passion for the Lordship of Jesus. God, we thank you for the faithful women at First Baptist Gadsden. I pray that you give them a new passion for the mission of Jesus. That your grace would be a flame here at First Baptist Church Gadsden. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let's stick to the story. Genesis chapter 32 that I just read. What you find here, you sort of feel like you've been dropped into a story that's already in progress. We've come to what would be called the nadir, the low point of Jacob's life. So to know that, you've got to know what, what happened in his life beforehand. Before, before this event in his life, leading up to it, uh, Jacob seemed to always stay one step ahead of the consequences. You ever know anybody like that? Sort of, sort of do something, and they seem to always get away with it. And Jacob is that guy. He seemed to always get away with it, except now it feels like his luck has finally run out. When we catch up to him in Genesis chapter 32, he is a man on the run. But he hadn't always been like that. He now is a very rich man. Go back and read the story, starting in about chapter 28. He's a rich man. He has 11 sons. He has hundreds of livestock. He's going with his old entourage. The story has him going with all of his belongings, all of his women, which is a sordid tale in and of itself. Go read it sometime. He's coming back to his hometown. He's just left his father-in-law. It was a terrible departure. It was tricky. You know, Laban, you know, Jacob's sort of the trickster. That's even his name. And and he goes in and meets his father-in-law, Laban. And Laban actually tricked him. Remember that story? Where he, uh, he agreed to work for Rachel. Uh, she was the pretty one. Two sisters, remember those girls? I'm not making this up. This is the Bible. And, and, and Leah, she's the one that had weak eyes. Remember her? Weak eyes. Uh, if somebody tells you that you know, you, you've got weak eyes, there's something else going on. So Leah's got the weak eyes, Rachel's the pretty one, he wants Rachel, and make an agreement, they have a party, a wedding party, uh, and things get out of hand, probably went late, a lot of drinking going on, and it's time uh, to consummate the marriage. He goes in to see Rachel, the Bible says, um, go back and look at it, in the morning, behold, Leah, went to bed with Rachel, woke up with Leah. It was a trick. Laban got the best of him, but it turns around, Jacob stayed on, and Jacob ended up, go read the story, he ended up actually getting the best of Laban. Because Jacob seems to always win. And now, now in the story, chapter 32, it's been 20 years since he'd been home. 
see his family. Remember how he left it? He left that home in a mess. His brother was fuming at him. His father had been duped. His mother was manipulative. So in order to make things a little better, as he's headed back to his hometown, he sends some gifts ahead of him. So, sends some things to his brother Esau. You know, Esau's kind of a hunter, and uh, he's an angry guy, probably carries a gun, so we need to keep his temper down, send him a bunch of presents. In chapter 32, verse 6, Jacob hears that Esau is not accepting his presents. In fact, not only is he not accepting his presents, Esau has 400 of his friends, a little bit of a posse, and they're headed right toward Jacob. So verse 7 and 8 of chapter 32, verse 7 and 8, Jacob goes into survival mode. Verse 9, 10, 11, and 12, he, he even gets desperate enough to start praying. That's something we've not ever seen him actually do. He's praying. So he tries it again, verse 13 through about verse 21. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. 13 about verse 21, he, uh, he sends even more gifts to his brother Esau, hoping to appease the wild man Esau. When we pick up the story in verse 22... Jacob is out of options. There, there's a real sense of feeling, um, you ever felt this? There's a real sense of feeling overwhelmed. It feels like more than he can actually bear. He's exhausted all of his resources, and now all Jacob can do is sit there and wait for the absolute worst. All his hard work, all of his ingenuity, all of his resourcefulness, all of his determination, none of that is actually helping him now. J Jacob's like many of us, maybe like, maybe like you. Jacob's been called a lot of things in life. Jacob's never been called a quitter. It's a, it's, a, it's a frustrating and scary thing to be someone that's not a quitter and yet not know what to do next. So in verse 22, that's where the, that's where the writer has this now. Verse 22, he's, he's sitting by the brook there, by the river Jabbok. He's at a loss. You ever felt that? Maybe some of you here sitting at your own kind of river Jabbok. And you wonder, what is the next, what is the next step? And this evening, what I want to do is just with this passage, the short time that we have together, I want you to see that when, if you had a theme, this would be it. When life, when life is overwhelming, God's grace is more overwhelming still. When life, when, you, when, you, when it's over your head, then God's grace is more overwhelming still. So this passage, let's be careful not to make little moral lessons out of the Bible. Don't look at the the characters, and say, be like Jacob. This passage really is less about Jacob than, it's, than it is about God. The Bible is about God, not so much about the characters. It is about what God does, just like it is with your life. Your life is not really supposed to be about you. Your life is actually about what God does. So let's take a look at this passage and just follow with the stages of grace in Jacob's life. Here's the first one, number one. Number one, God's grace is a pursuing grace, a pursuing grace. What do we believe about God's grace? That God's grace pursues us. How do I get that from this passage? All, think about Jacob now. All of his life, 
Jacob has been running from one self-inflicted problem to another. He knows about God. He probably believes in God. He even has prayed to God when things got really bad back earlier in chapter 32. But he doesn't actually know God, does he? God pursues him. That's what's going on here. Now, I've heard preachers take this passage, and especially verse 24, and use this passage to say that... um, that this is a picture of prevailing prayer, that you ought to be holding on to God till He blesses you. Just hold on to God till He blesses you. That's actually a very good thought, but it's not at all what this passage is talking about. Jacob's not pursuing God. God is pursuing Jacob. God's coming after him. Yeah, I mean, look at him there, verse 22 and verse 23. Look at him. He's just stripped down. See what the text says? The same night he arose, he took his two wives his two female servants, his 11 children, and they crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them, he sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had. Stripped down. Women are gone, money's gone, children are gone, all his hard work gone. Everything he did for the last 20 years is gone. See that first phrase of verse 24? Look at it. Look at it. And Jacob was left alone. Now he's sitting there in the pitch black dark, listening to that stream pass. In the terrible darkness of the unknown, you know, he thinks his brother's bearing, I mean, Esau's bearing down with 400 men. They're coming after him, at least in his mind. That's what he's thinking. What do you think happens when that angel jumps on him? Scares him to death, I'm sure. He thinks it's Esau. There he is, standing, sitting in the darkness of the terrible unknown. You ever felt like that? You have all of the resources, all of the ability. Most of your life, things have gone absolutely really well. You're not a quitter. People know you're not a quitter. And yet, even with your motivation, you're not sure what the next step is. Not knowing what to do. There's nobody to turn to. Put a pause there. Let me just say to you about, um, about loneliness. Loneliness. You know, loneliness is the Lord's handmaiden. Loneliness and darkness, the darkness of your soul, hard problems that we go into, those hard providences, that is God giving us those difficulties to create in us a thirst for God, a hunger for God. Verse 24, for the very first time in Jacob's life, go read his story, for the very first time in his life, he has no scheme that'll work, Jacob has no angle that he can take. He has no real hope that things are going to work out. But isn't that how it has to be in order for us to stand there empty-handed and wait on God? Jacob, he had to encounter God alone. Didn't have his mother as a crutch, didn't have his father as an excuse. Alone. You and God. This is not about anything else. This is not about anyone else. This was the darkest night of Jacob's life. It was the darkest night of his life, and it was his sin that got him there. His sin got him down in that hole, and it is God's grace that is pursuing him, and it is God's grace that will get him up out of there. Let me ask you something. How many times in your life, just you now, I'm not talking about Jacob, I'm talking about you now. How many times in your life 
Has God spared you? How many times in your life has God provided for you? How many times in your life has God protected you for you not to be actually serving the Lord Christ with all of your life? How many times have you, have you heard the gospel and know it to be true? Why? Because God's grace is a pursuing grace. Let me give you another consideration here as we look at Jacob's life. Here's the second point, uh, number two. God's grace is not just a pursuing grace. God's grace is a determined grace, a determined grace. What a terrible verse, verse 24 is. Let me read it. Verse 24, you see it? And Jacob, look at this, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him. Think, think about that now. He's left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. So let's just say that it's 10 p.m. at night, or 11 o'clock at night, and all everything has gone across the stream. He's there by himself, and 11 o'clock, this, um, this angel, this representation of the Lord, some would even say the pre-incarnate Christ, has now jumped on him in verse 24. And they go into a wrestling match for hours. You ever been in a wrestling match? Look, I, it's terrible. I went out for wrestling in high school one time. Our football coach uh, made, us, uh, made us wrestle, at least go out for it. So I went out for wrestling. I never could get, to, get used to being in a singlet rolling around on the floor with the guy. I said, I'm not doing that. But it's terrible. For, just for minutes at a time, wrestling. And you think, I can't, you're trying to figure out. Think about if you were to go out on the sidewalk here and start out running as fast as you can possibly run, as hard as you can run, for as long as you can do it, and it would be 90 seconds. I mean, look, we, we get out of breath coming up the steps to church tonight. Right? So think about what, for hours they wrestled. All out. Maybe this is the Lord, maybe it's, picture of God, maybe it's a pre-incarnate Christ, it's an angel, it, it, because he says that it, I've seen the face of God. The text says in verse 24 that he's wearing him down. Do you see it? Hours they wrestled. Hours. He's wrestling him, stripping his self-sufficiency. Stripping his pride. Get, getting victory over his sin. It's not that that angel couldn't take him. I mean, we're going to read it here. The angel's going to touch him on the Touch him on the hip in just a second. There is this grinding. He's grinding him down. Let me just say something to you. Your sin is stubborn. I don't mean the penalty of it. Jesus took the wrath of God for our sins on the cross. So we're saved by that, and we're made into God's children through what Christ has done for us. Here on earth, while we're still here, we still wrestle with our own sin. And sin is stubborn. Lust, stubborn. Greed. You, you get saved and you had an anger problem before you get saved. You didn't just automatically become Mr. Nice Guy. You have to work at it, right? It's a stubborn thing. Resentment, you still have it. Maybe you've been saved a long time and before you became a Christian, you had a really just a foul mouth and said lots of cuss words all the time been saved several years and you feel like you got victory over that sin or you think you've mastered it until you get in the car somewhere and somebody cuts you off in traffic and all of a sudden bam you cussing in such a way that satan is blushing 
And you think, where does that come from? It's because sin is stubborn. The Puritans called it besetting sins. John Owen, uh, one of the Puritans, John Owen, you might want to write that down somewhere. Whatever you can find, John Owen, just read everything that John Owen wrote. You won't, won't understand all of it. It'd be hard to get through it. Be good to read, though. John Owen famously said that we are to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And so few of us actually put up a fight. Yet you often say that you struggle with a certain sin. Uh, guys in our church would say that they struggle with pornography. The truth is they're not struggling with it at all. Or maybe you say you struggle with you struggle with overeating. The truth is you're not struggling. That's your problem. You're not struggling with overeating. You actually are doing the overeating. So we talk about struggle. We don't actually stay in the fight of struggle. In fact, most of us have not even actually begun the struggle. In this passage, in verse 24, God is grinding him down. He's grinding down his stubbornness in Jacob. And that didn't do the trick. So notice what God does. He goes a step further Notice what he does in verse 25. When the man saw, it's the representation of God, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched. Notice all he got to do is touch. He touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. God had come to Jacob's life to wrestle him into submission. To do that physically, to do that spiritually, to, to take away and reduce the power, to take that power away from him, to, to even, even hurt the man. You mean God would hurt us? That's what he's doing here. He touched, dislo you ever had anything dislocated? And there it is in his hip. There, the, there's this combat sport, all combat sports, if it's boxing, wrestling, MMA, I don't really watch much of that, but... All of that, you've got to have strong hips because the power is in your hips and that's where the angel touched. Certainly God is with us in our weaknesses. We, we believe that God is a God of our weaknesses, that where we are weak, He is made strong. He certainly does help us with our struggles and the, the places that we are weak in life. He is the God of our weaknesses. But Leonard Ravenhill said, God doesn't just want our weaknesses. God wants our strengths. He has to be God of our strengths. And when, when God is at work, there's not any kind of instant sanctification. You don't get saved and then instantly no longer lust anymore. You go blind and you can't see. It's not how God works. He presses us into spiritual maturity. And before God would bless Jacob, Jacob's asking him, before God would bless Jacob, he weakened the man. Alistair Begg said that um, the reason we know so little about blessing is that we run away from God's crippling. So in this passage, God is breaking him in order to bless him. Let me ask you this, what... What is the pain that God will use? Don't resent the pain. What is the pain that God is using in your life to turn your heart and your eyes to Christ, to turn your faith and your trust 
to Jesus, to trust the goodness of God's grace at the cross of Jesus. See, this grace is a pursuing grace and a determined grace. Let me give you a third point, something to consider. Number three. I think I've got one or two or three of these. How many do I have? Gracious, I've got a bunch to say tonight. Let's get through it, Matt. You ready? Here's number three. God's grace is a transforming grace. Transforming grace. Let me show you what I mean. You'll see it down in verse 26. The wrestling match continues there in verse 26. Although Jacob is hurt. Don't you appreciate this determination? He's hurt, but he's not letting go. His hip is dislocated. Verse 26 says he continues to wrestle even though his hip is dislocated. I would be pounding the mat asking the ref to come in. I'm done wrestling. Now Jacob, notice what he says in verse 26. I will not let you go. He's clinging. You know what we don't do very much of? We don't cling to God. We don't cling to his word. I saw a video today on, on Twitter. I was checking Twitter and saw a video today of some Chinese Christians that got Bibles for the very first time, and they were taking their Bibles and kissing the Bible. They were weeping because they, they finally had their own personal copy of God's Word. How many people sitting here today have, you've got Bibles all over your house. I got so many Bibles, I could give everybody here Bibles to have extras. We got Bibles laying around, you got them in the backseat of your car, you got them in, uh, in the kitchen, you got them in the office, and we, we don't cling. We don't cling to His church. Look at this great blessing God has given us, this wonderful facility, this group of people. We don't cling to His church. We don't, we don't cling to His people, loving one another, encouraging each other, praying for each other, seeking the best in each other. We don't cling to the Lord like He's clinging because we cling to so many other things. This is the problem with luxury. We cling to so much. We cling to people. We cling to hopes. We cling to success. We cling to habits. We secretly cling to secret sins. We cling to our past. We cling to hurt feelings. We cling to bitterness. We cling to what should have been. You know what Jacob's doing here? He's hurt, but he's clinging. And Jacob is asking for a blessing. Lord, bless me. Now, he's getting close. He doesn't want God yet. He doesn't want God yet. He wants the blessing. He's not asking for God yet. There's a difference. He, he wants the blessing. He wants a breakthrough. Look, you don't need a breakthrough. You need a breakdown. Right? I mean, look, see it in the text? Let me, let me show it to you. Here it comes. Here comes the, the whole story. It's all been coming up to verse 27. The entire story, look what the Lord asked him right there in verse 27. What is it, Jacob? Say it. What is your name? See it? Verse 27. Right there. Right there. I would circle it if I were you. Right there is the single most moving episode in Jacob's life. Notice what God didn't ask Jacob. God didn't ask him, Jacob, what have you done? He didn't say to Jacob, what have you done so that Jacob then can list all of his sins, he could catalog all of the terrible things that he's done, and Jacob has done plenty. God's not asking to list all of your actions, your foul mouth, um, your, your lust, your hatred, your pride, your foul mouth, lust, hatred, pride. That's not your problem. 
Let's not be legalists now. What we do isn't the problem. It's who you are. That's the problem. Richard Owen Roberts. Richard Owen Roberts, great uh, writer. He looks like one of the Old Testament prophets. Have you ever seen him, Matt? Richard Owen Roberts? Yeah, I went to a prayer conference one time, and uh, he was there. He's an older gentleman. Uh, no, he's not older. He's flat out old. He's an old gentleman. And uh, I think he's got one eye missing. I don't know. But I, I, I sat across the table from him. We had this prayer conference that he was leading. I was afraid to look him in the face. I mean, that's how sort of I was just afraid to look at him. So we were talking. I just kept looking at an angle at him. He wrote a, uh, he wrote a book book called Repentance. Richard Owen Roberts, the name of the book is called Repentance. I get that book and read it. Now, it's not for children. It's strong drink. Repentance. And Richard Owen Roberts says that repentance is not just turning away from what you've done. Repentance is recognizing what you are. So, and then what Paul says in Ephesians 2 when he teaches all about grace and the beautiful passage that talks about how we're saved by God's grace. And in that passage, that's where Paul tells us what we are is children of wrath. I love that. It's Ephesians 2 verse 4. We are children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God. There's the gospel. Those two little words, but God, that's the gospel because God breaks in. So here we are, let's go back to the text, verse 27, they're wrestling. <clears throat> and in verse 27, God calls for the question. You know what we say at a business meeting, goes on for a while, all of the debate, talking, 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 talking. And somebody will say, call the question. So finally we can vote on this thing and get it done. Notice what the Lord's do, Lord does in verse 27. And he said to him, what is your name? Here's the turning point. I'm Jacob. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the trickster. I'm a fraud. I'm a cheater. I'm a fake. This is the bottom of the issue right here. God brings him to the very bottom of the issue. This is a, conf this is a confession of guilt. This is an admission of need. This right here is the end of Jacob's running. Brothers and sisters, this is how our God works. He brings us to the point, and he used all kinds of things to do it, good things, bad things, hard providences, smiling providences, difficulties, struggles, pain, people dying. He uses all of those things to bring us to the point where you can finally see that it's your need. And once you see it, that's when he supernaturally changes us. Do you see it? Verse 27 and 28. Notice how verse 27 and 28, God changes him. That's what this is about. This is not just a name change. This is God changing his nature. You are no longer, I mean, look at it, verse 27 and 28. You're no longer cheater, trickster, Jacob. Now you are Israel. God strives. You know what you have here? It's all through the Old Testament. What you have right here is an Old Testament picture of 
a New Testament truth of how God changes us in Christ. It's not us trying to change ourselves. We're trying to change ourselves. It's us seeing, it's Clint Presley seeing, I am a sinner, especially as I stand in the light of God's holiness. I am without hope in this world, and I am trusting in the perfect life of Jesus and then his atoning death on the cross in my place, that that's enough to save us. And that's what this, that's what this church has preached since 1855. That it's the cross of Jesus when you turn from your sin and by faith turn to Christ, just like Jacob, our names change. You know, there's one last departing picture here before we go. And I think it's worth noting, especially how it's written, when you're looking at verse 29, 30, and 31, especially verse 31. So before I read it to you, um, Think back with me when Jacob was a younger man 20 years ago. When he left his home, remember when he and his mother tricked his dad and his brother? When he left his home back in chapter 28, the, the, the story is that as he's leaving, the sun was going down on him. Y'all hear that? Well, wait a second. It's, it's very hard to figure out exactly how the... This happens a lot to me at, uh, to our church. When I'm preaching, I can be in the middle of something, and, hey, Matt, why don't you turn around and help her with that phone, will you? <laughs> She's trying to watch a Jerry Springer show during church or something. Did you get it? Okay, all right. It's a good place to stop and put a pause there. So here, here's what happened. In Jacob's life 20 years ago, uh, he, he messed things up with his mom and his dad and his brother, right? And so he had to leave because his brother wanted to kill him. And the text, the story is that as he's leaving his hometown, the sun is going down on him, symbolizing the darkness that Jacob would live in for 20 years, up to this very point. And now the story is that now he's a changed man. But there's something different about him. Look at him in verse 31. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. You know what you have there in verse 31? You have a couple of things. Um, verse 31 shows us hope because the sun is coming up on him now. But shows that he's been changed by his name and his limp. Let's take this in New Testament terms. Paul would wrestle with the same sort of thing. <clears throat> Remember Paul and the thorn in his side and how he desperately wanted the Lord to heal him and he would always ask. And Paul wrote about that in 2 Corinthians 12. This is what he said. To keep me from becoming conceited. You don't want to know why you got that problem? It's right here. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation a thorn was given to me in the flesh. That thorn was a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Paul says, three times I pled with the Lord and asked Him that He would remove this thorn. You know the rest. The Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. You see, my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Brothers and sisters, God's grace is sufficient for you in Christ. His grace is a pursuing grace. His grace is a determined grace. In Jesus, His grace is a transforming grace. And His grace is greater than all of our sins. Amen. Would you join me as we pray together? Your heads bowed uh, this evening as we go to the Lord in a time of commitment and prayer. Do our invitation very similar to what we've done uh, the last two nights. And that really is just to give you an opportunity, part of our tradition as Southern Baptists is to worship, sing, pray, hear a sermon, and then offer an opportunity to respond. There are several right ways to respond to this message. Maybe tonight you'd like just to come forward with God's people, come forward and just spend a moment or two here praying, asking the Lord to grant you grace to make it. Maybe uh, you realize that you are Jacob and you need to be Israel. In other words, you need Christ. Tonight, it just for whatever reason, you realize that and you'd like to talk to your pastor about that. Be glad to pray with you. Or maybe you'd like to have one of the deacons or your pastor pray over you. If the Lord has spoken to your heart, when we sing, we'll invite you to come forward. Father, we thank you for your saving, wonderful grace that we have in Jesus by your spirit, I pray now you would take this message and apply it to the hearts of people. Be honored here now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.